Hello and welcome to CoachCast by England Football Learning, the coaching podcast that brings you insight from people across the game. Today we're chatting to Katie Sorensen and Dan Simpson, two of our Game Insights analysts, to preview the Women's World Cup and to find out how coaches can take inspiration from tournament football. Well, Katie, Dan, hi, welcome to the show. How are you? Yeah, really good. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Very excited, actually, just to talk about football for the next, well, however long we talk about football. So, yeah, really excited. Thank you. <laughs> love it. Love it. Well, it's really nice to have you both joining us and to have you on CoachCast for the first time. So, can you tell us a little bit about your roles and tell us what it is that you do? Yeah. So, we are both Game Insights analysts here at the Football Association. And our role is to to really look into the game and, and delve into it to, to see what we can learn from a coaching perspective. So what trends are happening in the game? What's really important? And, and how does this translate into to coaching insights? Really just to help coaches get a little bit better. Well, fantastic. Thank you very much for that. And we look forward to kind of delving into your insights uh, that you've got for us later on. But before we do that and get into the main part of the show, as this is a coaching podcast, coaches could be on the way to training while tuning into this. So we always like to give them some great advice early on in the episode. Yep. And we call this the arrival activity. So we give you 30 seconds to give us as many top coaching tips as you can. These tips can be based on any of your coaching experiences or tournament football or Given your roles, it can be advice on improving observation skills. Are you up for the challenge? Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah, yeah, go on then. Yeah. How are we going to do this? Is it like taking it in turns? Yeah, I'll, okay. I'll, I'll go first and okay. then uh, Dan will save the day with anything I miss. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Looking forward to it. Okay, we'll set the timer up and when the music begins, that's when you can start. Okay, so for me, the most important thing to think about is what do your players need compared to what do you think they need? Uh, Think about learning objectives when you're setting out your session. So with that, how are you setting up your practice? Um, How do you use the step principles to your space, uh, the tasks, the equipment and the players to best provide learning opportunities for your players? Um, Do you understand the core skills and core moves that we look at at the FA and how can we ensure that our players are using those to become more skillful and better players? Look at that. Look at that, before the whistle even came in there, brilliant. (laughs) Dan, do you fancy giving it a go? We can give it a go. Okay. Dan, this time is for you. Have a clear plan. Always have a clear plan for what you're trying to achieve. What do your players need? How are you going to observe? How are you going to actually recognise what they're doing and and, and improve them? Recognise what does success look like in everything you're doing? How can can your practice give your players a realistic opportunity to to practice what the game looks like? Most importantly, like I'm trying to do right now, be calm, be patient. um, And have fun. Have fun. We always need to make sure we're having fun in everything that we do. Like that and ended on a very, very important one for us all to to keep in our minds as well, making sure that we're having fun, whatever we are doing. Well, let's get into the main part of the show then. And the Women's World Cup is here. This year's tournament is held in Australia and New Zealand. And the host kicks things off tomorrow with New Zealand facing Norway and Australia playing the Republic of Ireland. Uh, Well, as for England, uh, our journey starts on Saturday against Haiti. Uh, The Lionesses are in Group D and also play Denmark on the 28th of July and China on the 1st of August. Exciting times. We can't wait here and make sure everyone's tuning in as well in the early hours of the morning to get and cheer us all on. Well, I suppose, Dan, Katie, first of all, how buzzing are you that the World Cup is finally here? 
For me, just, yeah, so excited. It's uh, been a long time coming. Obviously, we've not been in a uh, World Cup now for quite a few years with everything with COVID. So very much long awaited. And um, yeah, I'll be up very early watching every game that I can and uh, probably avoiding doing some work just so I can watch games. Yeah, for me, tournament football for for young girls watching, for females watching, it's it's such a fantastic thing to see. And, you know, when we're having success in it, it's it's even better. What fixtures have caught your eye the most so far? I think there are, there's lots of exciting teams. So when you look at the fixtures, there's lots of exciting teams and, and different playing styles all the way across the tournament. So to narrow it down to one or two is very, very difficult. But I think mean, one that's jumping out to me is Brazil versus France for all the obvious reasons. Two very, very attacking sides. So it'll be, be interesting to watch. But during last year's Euros, went out and watched Portugal against the Netherlands. That was a really great end-to-end game. Had lots of lots of great core skills and lots of talent on show, but also lots of great two two great tactical sides, good good set pieces. So it's going to be really interesting to to watch them go head to head and see what's changed between those two sides from when they last met in the Euros. So England are going into this as European champions, so they're going in with a lot of confidence and and some people viewing them as probably one of the favourites for the World Cup. But who are the other teams to look out for in this tournament, in your opinion? I think it's the the usual teams that always qualify. So, you know, as Dan's already alluded to, you know, France, Brazil... See Germany, USA, Netherlands on top of that. But for me, my favourite team to watch outside of England is Sweden. They were fantastic last year's summer Euros. Obviously, they lost um, 4-0 to England in the semi-finals. But their playing style and identity is so clear. Um, with how they play so they for those that are tactical minded out there they they love to sit in a mid block um, and then they look to counter at pace so they're really incredible on transition you know they use the strengths of you know Blackstenius Dina Blackstenius from Arsenal she's a real standout player for them they really play to her strengths playmakers like Aslani in the 10 then obviously they've got Ericsson of Chelsea at the back so they're just really really exciting to watch so you know I've got an England shirt but I might be pulling out my Sweden shirt at some points as well during the tournament um <laughs> Yeah, we have to mention England here as well, though, don't we? Off the back of the success of, of the summer's Euros, they, I think they really grasped the nation and definitely inspired a lot of young girls and boys to to get involved and play more football. So some more summer success would be fantastic. But I think when you look at it as well, across the, the tournament and all the different teams in the tournament, there, there's lots of um, fantastic WSL players in there. So you've got Sam Kerr, Gitlin Ford, Hayley Rosso of Australia. So lots of great talent all the way across the the tournament. So I think Australia could do well, but they've, yeah, they face some tough teams in there as well with, with Canada and Republic of Ireland in their group. So yeah, there's going to be lots of talent on show the whole way across. So I don't think there'll be many dull games. Exciting times ahead. Yeah, certainly so. I suppose putting more of a coaching lens on now for those that are listening, what inspiration can coaches take away from international tournaments then? International tournaments are always exciting, aren't they? We, we look forward to them. It makes people want to get out and, and practice and try some of the skills that they're they're seeing on the TV. I think it's important as well that coaches kind of tap into this energy with their players and encourage their players to watch and really get out, out playing football. But just make practices really fun and really engaging and kind of tap into the to the excitement of the tournaments. Yeah, Dan spot on there with what he says. And, you know, my motto is always, if you see it, then you can be it. So if our grassroots coaches are, I've seen the likes of Serena Weigman on a touchline, you know, she's got a real infectious personality. You can see the players really buy into her, the rest of the coaching staff buy into her. You know, she gets the most out of her players. So I'm really hopeful it will inspire some of our coaches to think this is the way that they need to behave with their young players. Uh, you know, if this is at the top level of the game, then we should be doing it in grassroots as well. RTC, boys 
academy, girls academy, you know, wherever you coach, you know, let's just keep our young players enjoying it and, and engaged because hopefully we'll see them more come through the pathway and hopefully five, ten years down the line, they'll be the ones that are pulling on the England shirt in the next World Cup. I suppose that's the important thing, isn't it, really? It's like inspiring the nation and getting another generation uh, of kids playing football. And and international tournaments are fantastic for doing that. What sort of things should maybe grassroots coaches look out for then when the tournament starts? We talk a lot about observation skills and even just watching the tournament. It gives us a really great opportunity to to notice what players are doing and just be curious about about the game and and the different intricacies of the game and and the things that players like to do. One thing to think about could be what you're currently working on with your players and and how that might look at the top level of the game. So taking your your practice design and and your objectives, what you're trying to teach your players and get your players to do, this is a great opportunity to have a look at that top level level of the game and, and kind of see how those players are doing it. Gives us an opportunity to identify what success can look like and, and also what happens if players don't quite get it right. So yes, this is going to be the top end of the game and it's a great opportunity to role model, but actually they're going to get it wrong as well. And as, as coaches, really important to recognise that we can't get things right all the time and be nice and calm and patient for that. I think the key for me here really, and certainly when we do any observational work, is have a plan. So I'd probably recommend just go and watch the games but have a little bit of a, a lens and a plan for what you want to observe and kind of shine a light on that rather than just take the game in as a whole. Because sometimes, you know, if you're trying to see everything, you'll, you'll see nothing. But it can be nice to just to, to draw your attention to, to certain things. And being able to do that can kind of eliminate some of the noise and help you focus on some specifics. I think it can be easy as well just to get caught up in a game because there are so many things going on at the same time. And having that plan allows you to narrow your focus. And I think once you've done this, have a little think then about what your players can and can't do like I just said there and then just just change your you know you can start to think more about the practices that you put on and what your players might need to develop and become more skillful that's pretty hard to follow but (laughs) a tool that I've actually started using within my own coaching outside of my FA role is is the six capabilities so hopefully listeners are already aware of those and you know how it's a great tool for for coaches to use to help you know try and help them develop more skillful players and they can use the six capabilities as a tool to understand what their players can do and what they can't do so the big six are timing technique deception movement scanning and positioning so for instance if you wanted to look at one of the skills of receiving at the tournament and understand how the best players receive you can try to notice the timing of their movement how they scan before they receive the ball and obviously with scanning that helps them determine what position they need to take up to receive the angle of their body and then the technique of that receiving action once they've actually got themselves into the right position and understood what's around them obviously that decision is then down to how much pressure they have on them so if they may be unopposed and when they scan they might be able to then receive with a more open body shape compared to if they're being pressed when they then might have to receive more clothes and a tighter first touch. So this is where like deception comes in because if you have more space to turn, you can look to take a tight touch, but then open up your body to receive on a no touch turn. So being able to throw all of those six capabilities into the mix and, you know, try and really hone in and look at two or three of them you know, with each pass, with each finish, with each challenge, with each interception. It's a great tool for any coach, grassroots, senior game, wherever you're working, to really understand what skillful players do and maybe where the gaps are with the players that you coach. Do you have any top tips that might help coaches to improve their observation skills for when they're watching the tournament? Yeah, like I said there, I think just having a plan is really critical as well. But 
feed into your players too. You know, what what are your players interested in? What type of players have you got? Can you get them watching watching others and kind of picking out things that they're working on and training and things they're trying to get better at just to see how some of the, the top performers are doing it. But I would always come back to just just have a plan. Like I said before, if you know, sometimes if you're looking for everything, you end up seeing nothing. And the six capabilities model, I think, is probably the, the best top tip you can get. So just pick an area on there and, and kind of watch a game through that lens and, and really see what you're noticing. How can coaches adapt what they've observed then to suit their own context? This is difficult. This can be difficult. The observation is one thing, but how you actually transfer those observations into to real life practices to to develop your players and to develop your own coaching knowledge as well can be difficult. But I think it's really important that you know you understand that you are watching the top level of the game. When you're watching the World Cup. That is the, the the very top level of the game. So whilst it does provide excellent role modeling opportunities, it's even more important to understand your own players understand their capabilities, what they can and can't do. And I think that allows you to then provide the most appropriate challenges for them. So rather than just watching watching the game and saying, oh, Sam Kerr does this, recognise your players might not be able to do that. Some of them might be able to, but actually understanding your players and their capabilities gives you a really good opportunity to, to take what you're seeing from the top level of the game and transfer it into your practices because they're not going to be able to perform at that same level. But your own players will be exciting in their own right and you kind of have to harness that and, and use that role modelling. So certainly draw your players' attentions to it, but just make sure that you're, you know, you're being calm and you're you're not getting frustrated in your practices when your players are trying and failing because ultimately the more players fail, they're going to learn. Every time you fail, you're going to learn and you're, you're going to get better. So there's just lots of development to be had there. I suppose that's from a coach's point of view, but can coaches engage their players during the tournament in any particular way? Yes, yeah, certainly. There's great ways that you can use observational tasks with your players. So but this is very much dependent on maybe the age and stage of the players that you're working with, because what you might get a foundation phase, so like a you know nine or 10 year old to look at compared to a senior over 16 football will be very, very different. If you're wanting to engage, you know, your younger players in your in your team with the tournament, you might just get them to look at things like goals that are scored in a tournament. So where are the goals being scored from? How many touches are the players taking? What technique do they use? Do they strike through the ball? Do they use their laces? Do they use their left foot, their right foot? Um, do they use their instep? Where do the assists come from? Things like that. I mean, the game is all about scoring and stopping goals. So that's the most exciting part of the, any game. So you engage younger players with that. Then you're onto a winner in terms of getting them to enjoy enjoy the game. And, you know, as we've spoken about, really focus on one key core skill. So the core skill of finishing is everyone's favourite. So start them with that. And then maybe with older age ages, you might be able to do something a bit different. Yeah, a really interesting one there is it, it all does link back to, to your players and what your players can and can't do. And we, we mentioned there about how can we take some of the observations that we, that we see from the World Cup and actually make it translate to the players that you're working with. And we talk about finishing there, Katie, you just mentioned a lot about finishing. And when we look at the top level, there's lots of goals scored with the first touch. So lots of first time finishing. But actually when we're looking at the foundation phase and working with younger players, we're seeing that that's not actually the case. So it could be very easy to watch one of these tournaments get some insight and say, oh, there's lots of first-time finishes taking place, so I'm going to go and work on that with my players. But actually, with the younger players, we're saying that they need more touches, they need to get used to the ball a little bit more. We certainly encourage staying on the ball as well, so there's, there's nothing better than seeing a player dribbling, beating two or three players, and then, and then finishing themselves. So it can be difficult sometimes to translate those insights, but I would always say, have a look at what you're seeing at that level, watch what you're seeing at the World Cup, then watch what your players can and can't do, and kind of try and work out 
how that translates for your players so you can be a bit more specific in the work that you're doing. Katie, you mentioned a lot there about working with younger players. I'll come in here with just some of the older player stuff and how you can engage players throughout the World Cup, some older players. And I think it's a great opportunity to reinforce some of your coaching messages. So when you're working with older players and working towards more competing as well, rather than simply just development, it could be a good way to get across some of your key messages around the way you're trying to play. could be a great opportunity to integrate some some off-field coaching into your working practices. So for example, Katie, you mentioned earlier about Sweden and how direct they can be on transition. If this is something that you're currently working on with your players and you're trying to get your players making more forward runs in behind, for example, in behind the opposition, then you might just direct your players to watching some of Sweden's games. And it might not be a bad idea just to show one or two clips or just get players watching the game before training. Because all of a sudden you've just through very little time, you've actually reinforced some of your key messages or you've introduced a topic to your players before they've even got to the training pitch. Now, Dan makes a really good point there about doing some more stuff that's more team focused. But Dan, how could you maybe like do stuff that's specifically for individual players? Yeah, so lots of team stuff there. I think individually, I've said a few times now, but a great opportunity to role model some great behaviours. So encourage your players to identify who might play in a in a similar way to them. So it might be positionally or or in terms of their, their playing style. Recognise what they do well, but also recognise some of their potential blind spots. Like I say, best players in the world, they're not perfect players. They're going to have some blind spots as well. And they may, might be similar to, to the players that you have at your club. Have a look at some of the, the different movements individual players make and how this might impact the ball, how it might impact the space and how it might impact the players around them as well would be, yeah, just some some suggestions really. Brian, that was great. Thank you very much for plenty of tips in there and some really interesting insight into into what you can get from watching tournaments. I suppose if you're thinking about how it might impact session design before we maybe delve really deep into that, so there's a simple question that some coaches might immediately come to if you're thinking in terms of how will an international tournament influence yourself at training I suppose is it the perfect time to start playing tournaments in training for instance that might be the first thing that coaches or maybe even the only thing that coaches might think until hopefully they hear this podcast and can hear how useful that tournaments actually can be for them but yeah is now the perfect time to start playing tournaments in training yeah absolutely you know I would always push coaches to do more game-based scenarios because we talk about the three R's so you know repetition realism relevance and tournament football is really relevant you know there's a tournament every year not just at senior football there's youth tournaments youth euros youth world cup both across the male and female game and you know especially in the summer it's a great time when children are coming back for pre-season and they do summer tournaments anyway so you know no matter the whether you're working with foundation phase players uh, youth development phase professional development phase or open age i'd say i'd really push coaches to think about those game-based yeah tournament scenarios where you'll get the most out of your players at the end of the day football is all about enjoyment but it's also about being successful tournament football is a great way for players to have success so definitely I'd be encouraging that good competitive level to it as well and you know even at the younger age groups we we want our players to learn and develop but I'd be lying if when I was nine, 10 years old, I wasn't competitive. I was really competitive. I wanted to win. You know, I always wanted practices that had goals involved or if you put me into practice and there wasn't goals, I didn't want to join in. I needed a practice that had two goals, had an element of winning or losing, which at the end of the day is what tournament football is all about. It's a knockout competition. So, you know, I think it prepares our players much better for when they then go into a game on the weekend. Yeah, and as coaches, when you're playing 
tournaments, it gives you a great chance just to step back and observe and see what your players are doing, see how they're handling different scenarios rather than constantly feeling you need to be on the grass coaching. It gives you a chance just to step back and actually really think about what your players are doing. There's also a chance, I suppose, when you're talking about observing and getting your players to kind of set those tasks to, to observe and look at players at the tournament. Also, the chance for them to maybe try and emulate them or pretend to be them. You know, that fun, that I can remember training sessions years ago when, uh, many years ago, when, when I was a kid and pretending that you was in England or a Brazil or a France and actually taking part in your own World Cup at training. It's like everyone's buzzing. It's really exciting. You just want to get stuck in and have fun. And, and that's kind of today is and, and now on is kind of like a perfect time to do that, isn't it? Well, it's the only time I ever came close to emulating uh, Alessandro Del Piero. He's always my, <laughs> always my player. <laughs> yeah, I think I think a great example of that is obviously Lesia Russo's back hill in the semi-final against Sweden. The amount of times now when I've been leading sessions and my players are trying to do back hills into the back of their net, it's, it, it's something that, you know, people talk about the Paolo Di Canio volley, you know, I'm a West Ham fan. So, you know, from years and years ago, I think it was in 2000 that, but, you know, people are still talking about that 22, 23 years later. And I have no doubt that people will be talking about Alessia Russo's back hill for the next 20 years. So tournaments provide a setting where these incredible moments happen. And then, yeah, it kind of has that influence on that. People want to try it. People want to be like that. And, and it's absolutely fantastic to see. I suppose delving a little bit deeper into that, how can coaches kind of make game realistic practices for their players based on this tournament? Yeah, something I would definitely push coaches to go and have a look at is how many opportunities they provide their players to be in a position where... You know, you say to your players in training, right, we're going into a small-sided game. It's 7v7. This 7, you're 1-0 up, right? The other team, you 7, are 1-0 down. So the team that's 1-0 up, what are you going to do to keep your lead? The team that's losing 1-0, what are you going to do to to try and get back? And, you know, with tournament football, again, you could draw a game, but then it goes to extra time. So sometimes it's not enough just to draw. Like in a league game where you get a point, you need to go and win. So what are you going to do to turn that 1-0 to a positive 2-1. You know, you look back to the England-Germany final. See, I think we scored in like the 116th minute, I think it was, something like that of Chloe Kelly. And I think it was about two or three minutes of game management in the corner. I think we had three or four players just trying to keep the ball in the corner and, you know, trying to win throw-ins, trying to win free kicks, trying to win corners. And the thing is started to really frustrate Germany. And it actually really got me thinking how many times must Serena and her coaching staff have practised that with the girls here at St. George's? For me, they must have practiced that scenario and um, how to manage the game, that game management multiple times. Because for me, the fact that they were able to go and execute it in those last few minutes to ensure we won the game was just fascinating. So I'd encourage coaches to go and do that with their own players because it's a lot of problem solving as well. So you're giving it to the players and saying, right, you're one nil up, what are you going to do? So it gets them thinking about what formation they're going to play. You know, if it's seven aside, you'll always have one in goal. Will you go three at the back to a midfield, one up top? Whereas if it, you're losing one nil... What will you do with your six outfield players? We you go three up top? What will you do to try and get back into the game? And, you know, that can be done at any age with players, getting them to problem solve, getting them to think about how they will make sure that at the end of when that whistle goes, that their team's won the training session. I guess it pushes a bit of creativity as well for them. Like under that pressure, you kind of 
see what comes out in the end of it. Yeah, you can get them practice in different scenarios. So we mentioned game state scenarios there, but just just putting players up one v one, you could even get players that are similar playing a similar way to some of the players that you're seeing and match them up and, and do some one v ones, and that just makes it more realistic to the players and the positions in which they, they might play. We do a lot of research around the tournaments, all with the purpose of helping coaches to to put on more game realistic practices and kind of understand problems that the game throws up and the potential ways of solving them as well. So, for example, one of the areas that we've looked at previously. And, and we're going to do a big focus on this the Women's World Cup as well, is the impact of core skills and moves within the game. So actually recognising how overlaps happen, for example, how they're happening at the top level, it could be a good opportunity just to, to replicate that within your practice and just get your players practising some of the things that, that you're seeing on the TV and some of the, the things that they're going to face on match days as well. Really important that we try and bring training as close to a match day as we possibly can in terms of some of the messages and, and realism that we're, that we're trying to get across. I suppose you'll be paying quite close attention to the tournament, of course. And you mentioned some of the stuff that you've previously kind of observed. Can you kind of give us like some specific examples of content that you released and also examples of how those observations that you've made during tournaments can help grassroots coaches? Yeah, so leads on really nicely from from what I've just said there. Um, The insights and resources that we've sort of previously produced, they include lots of different stuff. We look at lots of different areas. So how goals are scored, how goals are stopped. We've looked at set plays and possession starts as well. So we're looking at, you know, how often do teams have corners? How often does transition occur? And helping coaches recognize, you know, the frequency of these things and, and how players are getting on the ball. Because then that might just help them out with the practice design a little bit. So for example, we know that transition occurs around around 68% of all possessions start from a transition. So as a result, can we factor this into our practices? So rather than when we're working on build-up play, for example, rather than starting every session with a goal kick, which occurs 5% of the time, can we incorporate transition more and more just to make it a little bit more realistic? We've also looked at a lot of things like system adjustments and, and substitutions, which became really important in the, the Euros with the success that England had and the importance of their substitutions and, and the massive impact that they had. But I think ultimately it's all about, for us, it's all about taking simple insight that provide powerful implications for coaches. So so what I mean by that is is trying to tailor some of our content to be as environmentally realistic as possible. So having the same resource and the same information, but trying to put it across in, in a different way. So if you work in a grassroots level, you know, you can take something from it. If you're working in, at pro license and, and in the senior game, you might take something different from it. So it's just trying to tailor the content that we create to make sure it's, it effectively challenges coaches, but also gives them some good insights as well. And this can be, yeah, we, we do this in a, in a wide range of ways. So it might be from a webinar, it could be a blog, it could be a video that you see across our social networks, or it could be some work that's integrated within some of our coaching courses, which then provides even further opportunity to transfer into practice design, etc. But the great thing here is we have such a, a wide range range of means for getting some of these messages and insights across. And what that allows is a great opportunity to, to create a more sort of individualized and personalized learning experience for people. Whereas beforehand, we may have just been you know, providing one piece of information and kind of hoping that it sticks. Whereas now we're, we're really trying to be as individualized as, as possible. What are you looking to observe at this tournament then? Do you have a particular observational focus or is that a little bit of a harsh question to ask? Um, 
No, we can be a bit open. I think well, we're we're focusing on enhancing some of the work we've already done around core skills and core moves. So we focus quite heavily on that at the Men's World Cup um, in Qatar. So we're looking to develop and further that work, which is really, really brilliant because those are some of our real key messages here at the FA for core skills are very individualised, like 1v1 stuff. And then your core moves is more your 2v2s, 3v3s, looking at how your players combine and how they connect and how they build relationships with each other. So we've really been putting more focus onto the importance of those two and three player combinations the key thing about them is one they help maintain possession but two they can help you penetrate against opposition so again if actually if coaches listening are wanting to look for those kind of things in the tournament I'd put a lot of focus for you guys to certainly have a look at that and we well Dan might be able to tell you a little bit more now about our digital world as well and um, what else is available that we can also lean on yeah thanks Kitty. i guess especially through through the covid times the digital world became really a great place for us to get some of our key messages across and people were spending a lot more time online and as a result we're seeing more and more resources and articles becoming available so externally things that aren't produced by us but it could be for example fifa if you look at fifa and you're familiar with some of the content that they put out they produce some excellent technical reports throughout tournaments and a lot of time we're looking at them and seeing a lot of correlation with some of the things that we're doing and some of the things that they're doing so for us it gives us an opportunity to kind of identify how some of these insights can kind of best support the messages that we want to share with our coaches so that's perform for example they're a a data provider that we use extensively within our research so any research into the senior game in particular for us a lot of it is done through through stats perform data and we'll so a big focus for us will be just looking at the data that they provide and kind of looking at some of the trends and seeing what what messages we can extrapolate from that see how it fits with some of the work that we're currently doing and then actually produce some of our own resources that the coaches can get to grips with because we're seeing a lot of resources online that give some fantastic insights but our responsibility now is can we really take hold of some of these things and apply some coaching messages and actually help coaches out there and players as well take the insight take the analysis and the articles they're reading and start to apply it a little bit more within their within their working practices Thinking about players, are there any that you're planning to keep an eye on? Yeah, definitely. For me, obviously, the focus has got to be on England. We've made great progression in the last few years, especially under Serena. And, you know, we've had fantastic younger players coming through the system now. But you've got to look at the longevity of, of some of the players we've also got. A big miss for us this tournament is going to be Beth Mead and Leah Williamson, probably losing our you know, best two players from the last year's Euros and they certainly continued their form from with England into into Arsenal this season. So the big question for me is who's going to step up into that Beth Mead-shaped hole? So straight away, my focus goes to Lauren Hemp, Chloe Kelly and Lauren James. For me, they're my three favourite players in a WSL. I love looking at how they stay on the ball, how they move with the ball. They're three fantastic 1v1 dribblers, but they're also very different in how they look to get past and beat a player. I have no doubt that one of those three will be a standout for us this tournament. Personally, I'd absolutely love it to be Lauren James. She's had a fantastic season for Chelsea. So I'm really excited to see her play and hopefully get loads of opportunities in this tournament. And what sort of actions are you actually looking out for when you're observing those particular players? Oh, what a question. That, that depends massively on on the player and, and why you're observing, I guess. But it could be a whole number of things. It could be the position that they play. It could be the capabilities that they have. First of all, understand why you're 
while you're watching certain players. But actually by observing these players, it can, can help you to really understand their role and the impact that they're having on the game and the, and the players around them. So if you look at their off-ball movements, for example, this can give you some some insight into the to the influence that they're having on the players around them. So again, linking in the six capabilities, you might just pick one or two to look at. So for example, it could be scanning and techniques. I would suggest just really getting familiar with the six capabilities as an observational tool because that really can help help shine a light on on certain areas and but also I think it gives you a chance to identify which areas you you find quite difficult to observe as well that that model's there it doesn't mean to say that you're going to be able to focus on all six of them really easy Um, as coaches are you able to identify some of your blind spots don't always go and observe things that you're really strong and you can see easily you know can you start to spot the little nuances and and things that are difficult to observe and then just challenge yourself to, to watch a player through that lens. I think that would be interesting. We've kind of touched on it a little bit before, but just in case there's any extra kind of points to come out from it, I suppose the question that I've got in my mind is how can watching skillful players really help coaches to develop their own team then? Yeah, it definitely can. But, you know, as, as Dan said, and I think he makes a really great point with it is we as coaches shouldn't allow ourselves to get frustrated or compare our players to the likes of, you know, Sam Kerr, Kenza Dali, Mary Earps, you know, fantastic goalkeeper. We can't expect our players to be able to perform at the heights of what these players are. These women are professionals. It's the elite level of the game. It's the best players of the world. But, you know, watching these skillful players in a tournament can be more of an eye-opener of where the gaps are within your own players' development, within their own skill sets. And, you know, thinking about what opportunities you can then give to your players to help them develop in these particular areas, you know, giving them opportunities to improve. So that's when, again, the importance of your practice design, you have to be able to set up practices that will enable your players to improve on these areas as well as challenging them, you know, just highlights that need to develop your practices. We're all about obviously wanting to to develop players. We want to help them become more skillful and we can only do this if we're developing and putting on practices that actually allow for this to happen. So, you know, I've already alluded to it, but your practices need to have good repetition for allow players to, um, I guess, really improve and reinforce those key messages on a particular skill. They've got to be relevant to the game. So does your practice look like what the game is actually going to be like on a Sunday? And then the same with that in terms of the realism, all three of those things when you're doing a practice they have to be a tick box if you're not ticking all three boxes then you need to ask yourself why am I putting this session on for my players oh brilliant kitty I, I gotta imagine the term skillful players is a term that we hear we hear a lot and um, even now for me the, the first thing that kind of comes into my head when I think about skillful players is all the exciting things scoring goals dribbling past defenders like they aren't there but actually the art of being skillful is so much more than that and it can actually be much more subtle than that as well, much more difficult to, to identify. So having the ability to to read the game, for example, and, and anticipate and sense danger is, is a massive skill in itself. And it, I mean, just something like that can allow a player to position themselves in an area where they can, can land on second balls or, or intercept a pass to stop an attack before it even happens. And as a result, because that attack hasn't happened, you know, it might not be just as easy to spot. But some of these things, they don't get enough credit. But they're just as skillful as as bending one into the top corner. Like th- those tackles are are just as important. But being able to read the game is is a real skill and something that you know we need to be encouraging our players. That whole before phase, the whole before, during, and after is you know can we take our players through those three things, those three three phases? Because what you do before you get on the ball will massively impact what you're able to do when you get on it so for me that's you know that's being skillful thanks back to goalkeepers as well you mentioned Mary Arps there one of the most for me one of the most skillful goalkeepers around 
Yeah, and, and Dan just alluded to it there when he was talking about that first player that comes into my head is, is Kira Walsh. For years has been one of the most underrated players in the women's game. And I, I really believe, you know, the tournament over the summer just really highlighted her importance. So Dan spoke brilliant there about the before phase, the way she sets herself and gets herself into a position where she can affect the ball. Then it's her calmness on the ball to then, once she's won it, when she's made an interception, when she's, you know, won a challenge, her decision then to stay on the ball or pass to a mate. And then afterwards, it's her movement to then get into another position. She doesn't, she doesn't make a pass and then... You know, what a lot of people do is they make a pass and go, oh, that was a great pass and just kind of observe how good their pass was. But she's always so ready to them thinking, well, what's next? Where do I need to be next? What's my next movement if we stay in possession? But also what happens if it breaks down? Where do I need to be? For me, I'd love to... Yeah, have a Kira Walsh in, in my team, and uh, you know I've got I've got a couple of very good central midfielders, and yeah, I think this season they probably got bored of me trying to get them better at some of the out of possession <laughs> stuff. Because for me, that's that's um, yeah, where Kira Walsh is is fantastic. And as Dan said, it's it's not just your forwards that are skillful; it's your it's your pivot, it's your it's your left back, it's it's your goalkeeper, and we need to put more importance on these players being skillful. You know, there's eleven players on the pitch; they're not eleven strikers. So 11 of, you know, every position. So, yeah, it's really important to, you know, remember that. Yeah, really good message there. Really good. I suppose a big question here is is kind of where and when can coaches expect to then discover your work on the Women's World Cup? I think you expect to see our work across all of our digital learning platforms all being well. So some of the insights that might be delivered through social media as the tournament progresses. We'll try and get some some stuff, some of our observations. We'll try and get out there as the tournament's going on. We've got a dedicated insight and analysis blog channel on our FA community website uh, that allows us to delve into some of the detail of what, what we've been observing. We've also got four live webinars across the 23-24 season where we're going to disseminate some of this insight and hopefully make it come alive and kind of really ensure that we're linking it to the to the various challenges that coaches are facing in the in the game and and, and their environments. And is there a way that people can find out where those webinars and stuff will be? Will it be where will you post the information about those things? So a lot of that will go on our our social media. You'll you'll see it through the the AFL Learning Hub. I imagine if you're you're signed up to the newsletters as well, they'll go into places like that. Unfortunately, we're not on uh, BBC just yet, but uh, watch this space because you just never know. <laughs> They're missing a trick without having you on there. So finally, can you summarise the key messages that you want coaches to take away from this episode? Yeah, I think for me, I've got three key messages. I always say, you know, as an analyst, if you're delivering information to your players or coaching staff, you can only ever do three key messages. Any more than that, players won't listen. So for me, it's number one, think about how you can use the six capabilities as an observational tool throughout the tournament. Number two, think about how you can encourage your players to watch the tournament and identify key trends uh, within the game. And the third one is just to keep an eye out for our insights and resources that we're going to be producing and sharing across our platforms because we develop these to help you coaches you know that's really what we're employed to do so you know if, and if we're not doing that then then we're not doing our, our job right I don't think. <laughs> well you've mentioned there about anything more than three key messages and people switch off so hopefully we've still got some people listening to what I'm about to say <laughs> but, but I think just to recap some of the stuff that we we spoke about from my perspective is just remember that it's a tournament Although it is a great opportunity to observe and role model best practice at the very top level, as coaches, 
really important we consider the players that we're working with we identify and recognize what their individual needs and capabilities are and i've said it so many times and katie you said it as well but just be calm within practices to ensure that we're not getting frustrated when our players don't always get it right we'll encourage them to try different things and you know try lots of stuff get it right get it wrong but have fun along the way and make sure that you're providing your players with that opportunity to practice Brilliant. Thank you very much. Well, looking at the clock, we are coming up to the end of the episode now, uh, but that means it is time for our Swift session feature. Yep. So like the beginning, we've got 30 seconds, but this time we asked you to come up with a session idea and explain it to us. So today it would be great if we could have a World Cup inspired session idea. Are you up for the challenge? Definitely. Yep. Yep. Okay. So again, we'll set the timer up. 30 seconds on the clock. Time starts now. Okay, so this practice idea is called finishing tic-tac-toe, so like noughts and crosses. Um, It's a small-sided game, 5v5, uh, with the addition of two keepers, so a 6v6. Um, Use of a whiteboard, uh, nine World Cup players' names across each 3x3 square. Try and get a mix of attacking-minded and defensive players on the board. Um, It's just not wingers that are skillful, as we've already said. Uh, You win the game when your team has got three in a line. For example, a good finish like Sam Kerr, a reflex save like Mary Earps, and a successful 1v1 dribble like Lauren James. Try to get three in a row. Boom. Oh, look at exactly. that. Boom. Look at that. Oh, I imagine that you're, <laughs> you're an avid listener, Kate. So I imagine you've been prepping that and timing yourself, looking forward to that session idea. Is it something that you've used before? I've done a similar finishing tic-tac-toe one with with the players that I coach, but I got one of the squares was um, an overhead kick, but they spent about 10 minutes trying to do it and <laughs> they didn't get to get their cross off three in a row. So, um, but yes, yeah, it's, it's good. It's competitive. And um, yeah, it's, it's exactly what I said at the start. It's goals. It's fun. It's, it, you know, gets your players enjoying it. Hopefully have a bit of a laugh as well, which, you know, for us is is really important within your sessions. Brilliant. Well, brilliant. Thank you to you both for being on today. We really appreciate your time. It's been brilliant chatting to you and so much insight into international tournaments and the things that coaches can look out for and observe. And just again, just we're privileged to kind of see the work that that you and the team do behind the scenes and there's some really fantastic stuff going on and we're really looking forward to seeing what you're going to be creating on the back of this tournament so listeners please do look out on our social media channels to see some of the work that the team do here it really is fantastic yeah so thank you very much for having on katie and dan hope you've enjoyed it i've had the best time i've learned i've got a face for radio so it's great (laughs) (laughs) brilliant thank you very much Well, Louise, that was a really insightful chat with Katie and Dan into the Women's World Cup and International Tournaments. What was the key point that stood out for you? Yeah, lots to take away from that chat. I think, well, we talked about it quite a lot, which was the six capabilities and like using those as an observational tool, but also just remembering that don't just observe what's really easy to see or what you're used to looking for push yourself a little bit and see if there's any like little subtle things you can find yeah that's a really good one and the six core capabilities are are, are such a a big thing to to look into and to work on for sure for me i think it's just a general point that a lot of people might think well it's an international tournament and from their own coaching context it's quite far away that is very much the, the elite level of the game but there's always realistically i mean as we've learned today 
that there is something to actually learn and to take away from that. For coaches at all levels, it might be watching a player and seeing how their skillful actions and seeing how they can maybe bring that to life in their own training sessions. You know, there's things like that. So there's a lot to take away from tournaments. And I think that is realistically the thing that, that I'm going to take away today. Right, well, that is all we have time for. But don't forget to check out the episode description for the transcription of this episode and for all the links to our platforms. There, you'll be able to click through to the England football community. This is where you can post your coaching questions for us to discuss on the podcast or just simply to connect with loads of wonderful coaches. Yep, we'd love to help you out with your coaching questions, so please do go and check it out. We'll be back soon with another episode of CoachCast, so if you haven't already, hit subscribe to make sure you don't miss an episode. From all of us at England Football Learning, thanks for listening.